friends to the tomb of ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. I am the tomb's proprietor, Headstone P. Gravely, and here I are two captive hosts, Shrey Lawson and James Hickson. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast, now a proud member of the Cinepunks Podcasting Network. I'm James Hickson. And I'm Trey Lawson. And I should probably preface this by saying this is not a normal episode of Tomb of Ideas. We're not talking about any comics this week because we lost the majority of the audio for this episode due to technical difficulties. So, to make sure that you get an episode this week, we're going to go ahead and cut in some audio from previous episodes. Just points in conversation where we kind of diverge from the topic of the show, usually talking about film or other geeky bullshit. Now, don't get too upset. There will be another episode of Tomb of Ideas next week where we will talk about the comics we were supposed to talk about on this episode. But in the meantime, we do hope you'll enjoy this very special episode of Tomb of Ideas. But first, we must first visit with the Master. Uh-oh. And Trey, you know what master that is, right? Um, I serve many masters. Which master are you referring to? I'm referring to Master Trey Lawson, Master oh. of Cinema Studies. Oh. Or what, what are you a master of, exactly? I can't remember. Uh, I... <laughs> I have <laughs> multiple masters. Uh, the one that is most relevant, I suppose, is the film and media studies, although... Um, I do also have one in uh, medieval and renaissance literature. All very relevant for this podcast. But the thing I wanted to ask Master Lawson about today is, can you explain to me what the heck is going on with the Child's Play reboot? It is complicated. Um, So, um, Child's Play as a franchise... um, is split between two different studios. And I'm going to trust that you cut out some of the silence as I pull up some information real quick. Okay. Counting on you. (laughs) Always a bad move. And so, um, the first film was made by MGM. Um, That was Child's Play. Okay. Um, 2, 3, and Bride of Chucky were universal. Uh, And basically all of the sequels from there on had some connection to Universal. Um, And so basically the, the... weirdness of it is that there most of the continuity of the series is -hmm. controlled by um series creator don mancini who wrote the original um and uh uh, as of the most recent sequels also has directed um don mancini has done most of the franchise but that first movie technically is still under MGM, and so they have the rights to re-release or remake that first movie. Just so, the first movie, though. And and to spin it off, like, they could create a whole new franchise out of it, I guess, but they would not be able to use any of the stuff that came up in the later sequels. Like The Bride of Chucky. Right, right. So, um, so Tiffany, um, also the, the Seed of Chucky, the, the kid that comes up later, like, all of that stuff. The There's a lot of mythology of the series that came up in those later sequels they don't have access to that um it's sort of a um thunderball never say never again situation if you want to go james bond with it like they have 
this sort of tenuous claim to one little piece of the franchise, and they're using that to sort of do their own thing. Um, what's complicated about it is even as they are preparing to release this this remake, which I still haven't seen the trailer for, um, it's out there, but I haven't watched it yet. Um, even as they're preparing that remake, um, Don Mancini is developing a TV series based on his continuity. And apparently there's a lot of backlash against the remake. Yeah, I mean, it's... My understanding is it is taking things in a very different direction. It looks like it's more of a sci-fi, rogue AI situation instead of the the sort of voodoo mysticism of the original. Um, but also, they're doing it without the series creator. They're doing it without Brad Dourif, uh, who has played um, Chucky slash Charles Lee Ray for all of the movies, going all the way back to 1988. Um so they're they're basically in in remaking it, they are cutting out all of the people who are most directly related to it. Okay. That seems um, like an odd choice for what is a very niche franchise. Yeah, it, it, it's funny though. It's it's a weirdly consistent franchise too. It it, it is a franchise that has survived longer than a lot of its peers. In that every other horror franchise of the 80s has gotten some sort of reboot by now, has gotten some sort of, like, reset. And this is the first time that's happened for Child's Play. They made it from 88 to 2017 with one continuity. That's impressive. I can see why people would be kind of pissed about that. Um, And technically, they're still maintaining that continuity because the TV series is in development. Okay, so there is a separate television series, right? Yeah, Don Don Mancini is developing a, a TV series set in his universe, the the one that's controlled by Universal Pictures. For Siffy, uh, right? Yes, I believe so. Um, at least that's where they're probably gonna try and put it first. Um, I, I guess if for some reason they were to pass on it, it could go to some other network within the Universal Television family, but. But that, I think that's the plan. Okay. Um, but... It looks like it's it looks like it's an eight part miniseries, um, written by Don Mancini, um, with Brad Dourif returning as Chucky. Okay. Uh, and initially they were calling it Child's Play, the TV series. Apparently, the. Uh, announcement of this reboot has changed their plan on that because it's called child's play um, yeah and so that they've changed the working title of the tv series to just chucky which if you notice this is also what happened in the movies was it started out child's play child's play 2 child's play 3 suddenly in 1998 it becomes bride of chucky and every sequel after that instead of the child's play title uses the chucky title yeah, I think perhaps that's because just that's what more people associate. Like, I'm gonna go watch a, I'm gonna go watch Chucky. Like, they mean they're gonna go yeah. watch Child's Play, but it, it, it's, it's kind of like name recognition. Um, it's the name recognition, it, and also, um, part of it is that original movie is still an MGM movie. I mean, if if you if you look um, at home video releases, there is a box set that has the entire series in it. Um, from one all the way up to the most recent Cult of Chucky. Um, but that required some deal-making between the two studios, because for a long time, Child's Play 1 was on DVD, and then Child's Play 2, 3, Bride of Chucky, and Seed of Chucky were in a set together. Okay. And so and so it's only in recent... Sort of like what happened with Halloween. Only in recent years has there been sort of behind-the-scenes deal-making to make an actual franchise box set. Okay. And didn't, like, so, and Alien I think that, have a problem with that, too? I'm sorry, which one? Didn't the Alien franchise have a problem with that, too? Um, Alien, I think, has always been Fox. Um, okay. Now, I think there might be something with rights in terms of producers and writers and things like that with like the alien versus predator stuff and some of some of the later spin-off type stuff um 
but I, I think they've always been the same studio. I could be wrong. I could be confusing it with the Godzilla box sets, too. Now, where... that's a whole other thing. Godzilla has the same issue as Hammer Studios in that because they're imported um, mm-hmm. over the years, different distributors have picked up different titles. And so in the U.S., different companies have the rights to different ones. And, of course, it'll never be as complicated as the Mystery Science Theater box sets where it's like you have the rights to release for a hot second, but you can never actually put out, like, season box sets because you can't get the rights to the movies for a whole season. Well, and it's it's especially because back when they were originally, the, the early seasons especially, they they didn't think about needing home video rights because why would they it was just a tv show yeah um and so they they've actually done a pretty shout factory has done a good job of getting what rights they can to what episodes they can a lot of that show is available which is cool but it makes me really sad that like the two godzilla episodes will probably never be on home video uh officially um and that uh, there are a handful of others that the rights are just never going to be available. Yeah, there were like it was on DVD for a hot second. The Godzilla to a Godzilla episodes were together oh, in got, a box didn't set. Didn't it get together. recalled? Didn't it get recalled? It got recalled. Yeah, and there was like a whole thing where a DVD extra where Frank and uh, Doctor Forrester were telling people how to replace their copy of Godzilla versus so and so. I think it's the. It's it's Megalon. It's Godzilla versus Megalon. Okay, Godzilla versus Megalon, with the feature it got replaced with, and yeah, I think Giant Gila Monster. No, was it was it, was it Gila Monster. I think it was Gila Monster. Okay. And to and how to destroy their <laughs> uh, Godzilla versus Megalon disc. I do remember that. Yeah. And of course, they couldn't actually say the name of the disc they were destroying, so right. they were like because of the recall. Because of the recall, so they had like, and now you can destroy your copy of right. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting the way that they have had to rethink getting movies for that show because you know now with with uh, doing it for streaming, they are automatically building in uh, home video distribution. Yeah. Which is smart, which also might be yeah. why it's a little bit more expensive to make it now and why right. it takes a little bit longer to make it now. Right. Well, and even I imagine by the time they got to Sci-Fi Channel, that was close enough. That was far enough into the the 90s at that point that probably they the, the choices they were making were based on how long they would be able to maintain the rights for rerun purposes. And maybe even because at, at that point they were doing VHSs. Okay. There were a handful of VHSs, I believe. So, and, and if you notice, once they switched over to Sci-Fi Channel, you see a lot more movies that are sort of either distributed by Universal or um, um, actually produced by Universal. Because you, it was stuff that they already had library access to. Have you finished The Gauntlet yet? Yes, yes. I I pretty much watched the whole thing when it came out. Would you agree with me that it's perhaps the strongest season they've ever put out? From start to finish, I think it's probably one of the most consistent. Yeah. It's really good. I liked it a lot. Um, And I was worried. Like, I was disappointed when they announced they were doing fewer episodes. But I think in doing fewer episodes, they increased the quality per episode. Yeah, and I'm hoping this means we get more seasons. Yes. Because, you know, we went almost two years between season 11 and season 12. Right. And and again, as we were saying, the, the production is more expensive than it used to be. Um, they have found some interesting ways to change the production uh structure to make it a little less expensive and to make it more efficient but i i think we'll probably still i don't know we're at a point where we're going to see a new season every year it'll probably be on like a two-year cycle i do think the host segments were stronger this time around though yeah 
Well, I think they had a better sense of what they were doing, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. But, like, the stuff with Kinga and Max was so much stronger than I think season 11 was. Well, and there was less obligation to fit in so many cameos. True. Which which allowed them to actually focus on the main characters. Yeah. Because I think... Because as, as, as much as I enjoyed those cameos for the sort of, like, uh, just sort of fan value of cameos... Um, that they tended to take away from other aspects of the show. See, one thing is I liked about cameos in the old days is, you know, you used to have the view screens and it was obvious they were on the same set with one another. With stuff like, you know, the Neil Patrick Harris cameo and the Jerry Seinfeld cameo, it just kind of seemed like, hey, we've invited them to a stage for this one thing. They're not even on the same set as the main crew and we're just recording this part with somebody else reading lines and then yeah, we just like that, the there footage. was a B unit that was probably just churning out cameos and it's just like wow this is so impersonal and so not MST3K yeah like yeah I, I feel like they, they handled what few sort of moments like that we had much better this time around. I mean, even with, like, the cameo of Leonard Malton, we at least had Pearl there in the room with him. Yeah. Yeah. But... And and part of that was speed of production, I'm sure. They had to churn these things out so quickly that it was more efficient to shoot separately. So which... But but you're right, it does change the feeling. Yeah. So which of the Child's Play projects are you backing, personally? I am, in theory, again, having not seen the trailer, I have no idea what this remake is going to look like or be like, but my gut tells me that I am on Mancini's side. Mm-hmm. This is this is his franchise. He has been on it from the first film all the way up to the TV series. He has written, directed, or both every single movie in the franchise. And so to do one without him seems like you're not really doing child's play. And I feel like you're talking about like the AI, the, you know, AI gone rogue thing. We've had a movie like that. There's that movie where the little robot toy goes rogue and starts shooting people with ball bearings. What is that movie? Yes. Um, I'm not. It's like somebody saw short circuit and was like what if this is a horror film because there's chopping mall that one has the rogue robot but that one's like security robot like like the idea is that a shopping mall has these like security drones that have just been installed and they go rogue evolver it's oh yeah i remember evolver yeah that evolver used to be on cable 1994. all the time say again yeah that used to be on cable all the time. I remember it. And I'm pretty sure that's where I saw it. Uh, he evolved a virtual reality arcade combat game. Evolver is all the rage. Kyle scores a top score. He's chosen to test a real life version of the game the company just came up with. They deliver him a small robot, the titler Evolver, and a few erroneous laser pointer guns to inno- innocuous laser pointer guns to fight it with. At first, everything was fine, everything was kind of fun, but after a while, Evolver reverts to deeper, far more dangerous programming. He upgrades his weapons and goes on a rampage. Yeah, that's... I mean, again, having no clue what this remake is like, it sounds like it could easily be like that, but with the the robot being snarky, you know? Yeah. Um... So, one thing I will suggest, to be, if people are really interested in, in hearing Mancini's side of this, um, there's a podcast called Postmortem. It's hosted by uh, horror movie writer-director uh, Mick Garris. Um, and back in December, uh, Don Mancini did a guest appearance on, on Postmortem talking about the remake and, and basically said that he and his fellow producer on the 
sort of main child's play continuity were invited to be executive producers on the remake and said that they were they did not cooperate that um they felt that it was sort of patronizing to not to be invited to put their names on it and sort of demonstrate approval but without actually having any input on what it would be that's so it's kind of like a hey we'll put your name on this so fans won't get upset about it but you have no actual input right right and and so um he he said uh quote the people who are making that movie they don't know how that's going to affect my livelihood it's not just a paycheck it's very personal mgm is screwing with that potentially because if you think about it like don mancini this series has been his bread and butter for decades now like it is the main thing like it's his life's work um he other than child's play he has done he wrote one episode of tales from the crypt in uh the early 90s how delightful um he wrote and produced uh, uh several episodes of hannibal for nbc oh cool um he was a writer and producer on channel zero and that's basically it the rest of his filmography is child's play so it is very much his baby yeah it's kind of yeah. like well i can i guess this did happen it's where you know Paramount took control of Star Trek from Gene Roddenberry with the films. Right. And Roddenberry kind of took control back with Next Generation. Yeah. Well, and so, and with that, they had the benefit of the science fiction element allowing them to basically have two coexisting timelines. Yeah. Like, you could have... You could have Roddenberry stuff set further in the future and Paramount stuff set sort of in the era of the TV, the original TV show. Yeah. So I, I, as maybe even if I hadn't outright said it just from my talking about this, I'm very much on Mancini's side here. Um, I will also say the most recent uh, Chucky movies that Mancini has written and directed, um, they went direct to video uh, the first was um, Curse of Chucky, and then the one that came out just a couple of years ago was mm-hmm. Cult of Chucky. Um, they are really good. Like, uh, if if you have not seen them, definitely check them out. I think some people slept on them because they were direct-to-video. Um, but they are maybe some of my... Maybe my two favorite sequels in the franchise. I've only seen Bride of Chucky, so this might be worth checking out. Yeah, and and so that's the thing is Chucky because it's been around the series has been around so long, it has followed all of the sort of peaks and valleys of the slasher mm-hmm. genre. So when Scream happened and everything went meta, they went meta. They the, you know Bride of Chucky and Seed of Chucky that came out during that time period are incredibly self-referential and winking at the camera and they're they're doing the post-scream slasher thing um and then by the time uh curse of chucky rolls around in 2013 the the style has changed again things have gotten a little more serious again and so now they're back to doing more straight slashers but cult of chucky in particular is one of the boldest sequels i've seen in a long time it takes some really interesting twists and turns and plays with continuity in a way that i did not expect from a straight to video horror movie so i i recommend both they're they're quite good i'll have to check those out I, i've always I always mean to watch the original child's play and maybe child's play 2 when i'm doing 31 days of horror but of course, I never actually get through the entire month of October with my horror films. Yeah, I mean, I we should we should watch them sometime. I have all of them, <laughs> so that is something that we could do. Meet Chucky. Hi, I'm 
Chucky. He's more than just a toy. He's something, isn't he? He's an adventure. <laughs> he walks, he talks, <laughs> and he never needs batteries. In fact, he's virtually unbreakable. Stop! Trouble is, Chucky <laughs> is one toy you never want to play with. Why not? The broadcast premiere, Child's Play, Tuesday at 8, here on Channel 2. <clears throat> Nothing like a good NPR parody. Yeah. Sweaty um, balls. There, there, there's a podcast I listened to that uh, did like a mini-series uh, on the, this one particular topic, and as a running gag, like the joke was that the mini-series was affiliated with NPR, and so they did like the whole NPR open, and like they had someone doing a really bad impression of, was it Sarah Koenig from Serial? Oh, God. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, that was, that, that podcast is, uh, uh, the SOV podcast, uh, the, the shot on video, but they, they only look at movies that were shot on videotape. So like really low budget eighties and nineties stuff. <laughs> oh, I, I. What is that one that movie that Joe Bob did, Mall Bimbos that you hate? Oh, oh, um, uh, it's got a ridiculously long title. Um, Sorority Babes in the Slime Ball Bolorama. There you go. Well, because it's not really a horror movie. It's softcore porn with monsters. True. Like, it's more comedy than horror. And not yeah, particularly that, funny comedy. That was an entire genre in the 80s. Oh, yeah. No, well, and it's... Well, in, you know exactly whose fault it is, is Return of the Living Dead. I've never seen that. It's fine. It's good. It, but it, it's a horror comedy. It's the horror comedy that defined the look and style of 80s horror comedies. Because it was like... It was 85. Because it was the same year as uh, as Day of the Dead, which was the serious zombie movie of, of the 80s. Um, gotcha. And, and it was sort of a big deal because Day of the Dead was George Romero. Return of the Living Dead was... Uh, rooted in an idea from Romero's original collaborator from the original Night of the Living Dead. So you had these, like, two competing, like, Living Dead follow-ups by two of the original creators. Interesting. But whereas Day of the Dead is incredibly serious and, and dour and, and depressing, Return Return of the Living Dead is an 80s comedy. Like, it's, it's like, it's got, like, punk rock teenagers and... and nudity and and rock and roll and all you know like it's you can draw a line from that to um the style of evil dead 2 to monster squad to uh stuff like slime ball bolorama it's just by the time you get so far down the chain that it's slime ball bolorama they're not doing it well anymore like they they're repeating the tropes but not in a way that is smart or funny I swear, it's just we're gonna just do an outtake episode. Just you educating me about horror stuff. <laughs> I, I can't help it. I go on rants. I'm sorry. It's fine. It it really is. <laughs> of course, all this will be cut out. Yes. Yes. I mean, unless you know, I have some space to fill in. We'll see. <laughs> espresso what more what else hmm? that's what George Clooney says George McCooney George Clooney who else what is what else incomparable what else McCooney is that Nespresso What else?
espresso. What else? What was your name? Christine. Christine. Nice to meet you. I'm Giacomo. I'm Giacomo Blacamo. I was just going to say, this has nothing to do with Marvel horror, but um, apparently someone asked George Clooney why he does all of those uh, Nespresso commercials. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, most of the money he spends on the Nespresso commercials, um, he spends uh, to fund a satellite over the border of North and South Sudan. Um, to keep an eye on uh, the Sudanese dictator uh, who's been charged with war crimes. That's amazing. Damn, George Clooney. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm just like, I will do this commercial to fund a fucking satellite. Yep, to fight war crimes. And I'm guessing they're like, yeah, we have no problem with that. So, like, in other words... George Clooney does turn out to be the best Bruce Wayne? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he basically is Bruce Wayne. Like, that's a very Wayne Tech solution to that problem. Yeah. It's like, I'm just going to buy a satellite to keep an eye on one person. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that, that, that just popped up a minute ago, and I thought it was cool. Yeah, that that is really cool. I expect to see it as of today I learned on Reddit any minute now. Right. Challenge your imagination to come alive and to battle with the creatures of Dungeons & Dragons. Grapple against the forces of evil as a Marvel Comics superhero. Hunt adventure and glory as Indiana Jones. The all-new role-playing games of TSR and Dungeons and Dragons. Unleash the power of your imagination. Some guy met um, Guy Ferrari while wearing the Dungeons and Dragons... Dungeons and Diners and Dragons and Drive-Ins and Dives shirt. That's funny. Uh, Cindy, want, I, I, I want that shirt. <laughs> it's a nice shirt. Um, even though I'm not actually a big D&D player. Right. I much prefer other systems. But the, the joke is still relevant. Indeed. I, I, I like tabletop RPGs, and I recognize that D&D is the big kahuna of them. And it's it's sort of the it's that thing where the one brand becomes synonymous with the overall category like true like D um, is shorthand for tabletop rpg yeah um i i'm taking a class for teaching gifted and talented students mm -hmm. and i had to do i have to do article reflections mm -hmm. And I, the article I picked was one about the difficulties of gifted children growing up, mm -hmm. how they struggle emotionally, they struggle with maturity levels, they struggle with the high expectations put on them, and how, uh, with the article they chose, um, well, the article I chose, that can lead to emotional problems or even suicide. And I kind of drew that link there between... Um, the, the young man I mentioned in the article, and I don't know if you know who James Dallas Egbert was. Um, he was a Michigan State University student. He was a child prodigy. Mm -hmm. He entered um, university at 16. Um, he apparently suffered a lot of emotional problems, and... Uh, he eventually went missing and there was speculation that he had disappeared into the steam tunnels beneath the university mm -hmm. because that is where he and his friends would go to play live action D D. right and he did end up going into steam tunnels but to commit suicide mm. he failed he then went to a friend's house and just bounced between friends' houses for a few weeks before ending up in New Orleans and basically calling home and being like, okay, come get me. Right. 
but the working theory at the time when there was this whole you know hunt for him in the 1970s was that D&D caused him to go insane oh, yeah, the, and disappear into the steam tunnels. The satanic panic stuff. Right. And the private investigator his, his parents hired wrote a book called The Dungeon Master. Mm-hmm. And that book got dramatized into another book called Mazes of Monsters. Oh yeah, the, the Tom Hanks movie. Yeah. And that got made into a movie called Mazes of Monsters with Tom Hanks. Yeah. So I, I, de- I detailed all that in my paper. Because I'm like, I mean, this is relevant. Absolutely. Bill. Here's a new Broadway musical in the making. Here's the leading man and his leading lady. They're Nick and Nora. They stand for humor and glamour, cocktails and canines. They tell the story of a murder, a marriage, a musical. Nick and Nora, Barry Bostwick and Joanna Gleason. Just a glimpse, just a tease of a brand new show guaranteed to please. The box office opens Monday at 10 a.m., but the truly chic will call now. 307-4100 for Nick and Nora. Check the Sunday's Times for details. So, the BBC is making a War of the Worlds miniseries. Really? Yeah. I'm assuming it's period. I don't really... I can't really find a lot of information about it. Um, War of the Worlds is a three-part drama produced by Mammoth Screen for the BBC, co-produced with Cree Sun Media, Association of Red Square. Uh, new adaptation of H.G. Wells' Seminole Tale... Follows George Rathspale and his partner, Amy, played by Eleanor Tomlinson, as they attempt to defy society and start a life together and face the escalating terror of an alien invasion, fighting for their lives against an enemy beyond their comprehension. Filming began in Liverpool in April 2018. Hmm. So, okay. Oh. Oh. The, the lead actor, the guy playing George, it's the son of Peter Pettigrew from Harry Potter movies. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. He was also in um, the the Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy, the Edgar Wright movies. Yeah. I see that. Okay. That should prove interesting. Although what I would really like to see, yep. I would really like to see a, a period series about rebuilding after an alien invasion. Mm-hmm. Like the aliens are gone, and now you have to rebuild society. That would be fun. What? What I would kind of like to see is, um some sort of animated it would probably have to be animated but adaptation of um there's a musical concept album version of war of the worlds from the late 70s what yeah um the original the the late 70s version is narrated by richard burton okay um I think the the they they did a tour version more recently. I think they maybe had someone else do the narration on that one. Um, oh no, they used a virtual Richard Burton. Um, but anyway, it it is very seventies, but it has some tracks in it that are really cool. Nice. I suppose there is a concept out musical concept album for everything isn't there for a lot of things yes um that one this one was actually kind of a big deal more in the uk than in the u.s um but it had uh there were a couple of songs in it i think that ended up becoming singles okay because i know now nick and nora wasn't a concept that became an actual show right yeah that that ran on broadway yeah and failed miserably, am I correct? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Um, which, um, it... 
I mean, it starred Barry Bostwick as Nick Charles. Yeah, he's not my first choice for Nick Charles. Especially not in 1991. <sighs> uh, apparently it had one of the longest preview periods in Broadway history, um, and then closed after nine performances. Interesting. I saw a list of preview songs for In the Heights the other day. And apparently mm-hmm. a lot of songs either got switched around or just got cut entirely. Yeah, which, I mean, that, that tends to happen. Um, the, there's all, same with, there, there were a bunch of things that were planned for Hamilton that got cut, either for pacing or time or character development or whatever. Like the John Adams song. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, it goes a little bit deeper on the sit down, John, you fat bleepity bleep bleep right yeah right. Uh, I love Lemon Well Miranda though yep and you're right Mary Poppins Returns was a delightful spending of an evening wasn't it it was fun it was a good way to spend an evening Dick Van Dyke was amazing yes he was I mean, it's Dick Van Dyke. I don't know how he couldn't be amazing, but still. Right. All right. Let's talk about the werewolf. How are ya? I'd highly recommend the 1961 monster movie Gorgo. I crush you. You get crushed. Movie know-it-all Leonard Maltin guest stars on the next Mystery Science Theater 3000. Next Saturday at 5 and 11 p.m. Eastern. Okay. Honest to goodness, my mispronunciation of Borgo was unintentional each time, but I'm leaving that I'm, I'm <laughs> leaving that in. So so you went with Torgo, which is the sidekick from Manos. Yes. Then you went with Gorgo, which is a British kaiju. Yes. <laughs> also, you kept going with characters from MST3 Kids. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't even know what's wrong with me. <laughs> oh. The way I was keeping it in my head was Borgo, as in the Borgo Pass that leads to Dracula's castle. Yep. Sorry, I I, I kind of cut off your thought there, but I thought that might that was an no, okay good. place to end the issue. No, absolutely no. We 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 had. Already said probably more than anyone needed to say about that. Dude. Yeah. Okay, I didn't want to get too much into to the Lee Kirby drama in the in the thing, but apparently one of the reasons that Jack Kirby left Marvel the first time was because Stanley didn't pick him to draw this comic. Well, not draw this specific uh, issue, the, but the surfer, surfer, the surfer yeah, title, the surfer title. <clears throat> Because Stan was kept on promising I, him, yeah, we're going to do a surfer title, we're going to do a surfer title. And Jack rightly thought, okay, yeah, Silver Surfer is my creation, I'm going to get, you know, picked to do the, be the art for it. I, even if I don't want to do it, I will get the first chance to say no. Exactly. And he wanted to do it. Because Jack yeah. Kirby likes the cosmic. And... Yeah. But it, it's sort of surprising to me that... When um, when they sort of gave Kirby whatever book he wanted, basically, he picked Black Panther instead of Silver Surfer. That always surprised me. I Because there had not yet been a definitive Silver Surfer run, but there was already a really good Black Panther comic. Yeah. And... I don't know. Part of that, I think, was Jack Kirby's progressive spirit. Because mm-hmm. from everything I've heard about Jack Kirby, he could not stand bigotry. Oh, sure. And neither could stand. Let's 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 not. In that, if if racists and bigots showed up at Marvel offices, he would roll up his sleeves and go down to yep. meet them. But, I don't know. I think 
he was fairly proud of the Black Panther as the first black Marvel superhero. And I think that sure. might be one of the reasons sure. he picked back Black Panther. And also, sales were low. It was probably going to get canceled anyway, anyway, even with McGregor drawing it. Or right. writing it. No, and that's a book that, that the, the Jungle Action title is one that has become well-regarded mostly in yes. retrospect. Like, somebody at some point turned around and said, holy shit, this was published in 1970s? Mm-hmm. It's, you know. <sighs> I apologize I've been posting so much Sergeant, Ro- Sergeant um, Fury stuff. It's just a really fun series. It is, yeah. I wasn't expecting to have so much fun reading it. But it's fairly obvious that um, Kirby just had a ball drawing it. Yeah. No, I um, I haven't read much of the older stuff. But, but what I've read is fun. Like, I think one of the nick fury agent of shield collections began with a little bit of the sergeant fury stuff just as a sort of here's who all these characters are so that when we jump into the actual collection you know what's going on um so i've read bits of it from those collections but but not a lot thundar the barbarian the year 1994 from out of space comes a runaway planet, hurtling between the Earth and the Moon, unleashing cosmic destruction. Man's civilization is cast in ruin. 2,000 years later, Earth is reborn. A strange new world rises from the old. A world of savagery, super science, and sorcery. But one man bursts his bonds to fight for justice. With his companions, Ookla the Mock and Princess Ariel, he pits his strength, his courage, and his fabulous sun sword against the forces of evil. He is Thundar, the Barbarian. Uh, I've got the letters. I've got the letters, but not the ads. That's a shame, because like on the last page of the Monster of Frankenstein is this thing called... Um, it's an ad for the latest episode of Creatures on the Loose. It's issue 22. And it is Creatures on oh, the Loose Thungor. featuring... Thungor! Yeah, Thungor. Thungor. Yeah, no, I've got, I've got that one. Warrior of Last Lemuri? Lemuri? Lemuria? Uh, Lem- Lemuria. Lemuria. But you notice that's a Jim Starenko cover. Yes. And that is just great, you know... Let's everybody jump on the Conan train. <clears throat> well, and that's this was when Marvel was buying up a bunch of sword and sorcery novels. Like that, that that's based on a novel too. Ooh. Um. Thongor is I think Lynn Carter wrote them. Okay. Uh, there's like there's like five or six books in the series, I think, and then, and then a reboot. The the original uh. There, there was a young Thongor book into the 2012. Okay. Because, wow, 2012? Wait, was it a reboot in comic form or in novel form? No, 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 that was, that was from the novels. Okay. No, I think the only comic was uh, when Marvel did Creatures on the Loose. Okay. Because I'm actually not a big fan of Sword and Sorcery. It's just never been my bag. I like I like the weird stuff. Yeah. Like, like I I'm no, no offense to Roy, but Conan's never been my thing. Mhm. Um but like the the seven issue DC Comics Beowulf is insane. Have have you ever read any of DC's Beowulf? No. Okay, it starts as an adaptation of the epic poem, right? Like okay. with Grendel and all that. Um, it was 
mid 70s so it's about contemporary with what we're reading right now okay um and he beowulf fights grendel but then ends up fighting swamp men um he fights grendel's mother um ends up falling through a dimensional gateway hidden beneath quicksand um which transports him and his companions to hell. Um, along the way, he fights Dracula. Um, he encounters Ulysses from Greek myth. Um, space aliens show up. Um, the Minotaur shows up, which is controlled by Satan. Did I mention this book only lasted six issues? The fuck? <laughs> Who wrote this? <laughs> um, Michael Uslan was the writer, and Ricardo Villamonte was the artist. Hold on, Michael Uslan, who wrote the Batman films? That would be correct. Yes. <laughs> Have you read those Batman scripts that he wrote before? Um, what became the Tim Burton script? I, I've read excerpts from uh, when there were going like, to be more villains in it and Robin was in it and all that. Right. And there's a scene where young Bruce Wayne, I'm talking like eight-year-old Bruce Wayne, um, fools his parents with a hologram. Huh. Yes. An eight-year-old Bruce Wayne invents a hologram that is realistic enough and effective enough to fool his parents. Which, of course, shows up later in the film when he's Batman. Huh. So, yes, I'm pretty sure this is the same Michael Uslan. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Oh... I love reading unproduced scripts. Listeners, if any of you out there want to just send me, like, unproduced scripts of fan projects, I will read them. There was a really great um, Godzilla script that was never produced from the 90s that I've read. And, of course, I've read the Kevin Smith um, Superman Lives oh, script. Oh, the, the Godzilla. Is that the Fred Decker that Joe Dante was going to do? I think so, and like he because fights... there was, there was at one point a plan for a an American Godzilla movie that I think the the at least the treatment was by Fred Decker who did uh, Monster Squad, uh, and it was going to be directed by Joe Dante. Right, it was like a father and daughter type thing, and there were monsters he fought at the end of the movie. Hmm. On on the bridge. So we still got the bridge scene that we got in the... Um, was it 96 or 97 we got that Godzilla movie? Um, 97, I believe. Maybe even 98. Okay. So we still had the big epic scene at the end on the bridge. But instead of, you know, them using the bridge to capture Godzilla, it's actually a fight between Godzilla and this other monster. Okay. So okay, it was it was a good script, and of course, I really love the Kevin Smith Superman Lives script. I like aspects of it. I think parts of it are silly, like in a way that doesn't quite work. Like the things that were insisted on by producers really stand out to me as things that do not fit. Yeah, but most of the stuff that's like Kevin Smith are actually pretty good, like the interactions between Clark and Lois. Um, mm -hmm. The only thing that I'm pretty sure was created by Kevin Smith that feels weird is, like, there's a part where Superman eats spaghetti off a little kid's fingers. I don't even remember that. <laughs> he rescues the kid, and at one point, I think the kid was, like, he rescued him from an Italian restaurant. It was, like, I can't remember the circumstances... It's like the mayor's son, and he's rescuing the kid, and at one point, 
he licks some spaghetti off his finger and like, mmm, spaghetti. I love spaghetti. That's weird and creepy. Like that no. might actually, <laughs> actually, that might even be a different script I read. I read a lot of unproduced Superman <clears throat> scripts around this time. Like there was I th- one. I remember. I think Deadshot was a minor villain in one of the versions. Yes, he was. He was saving him from Deadshot, and because the mayor was eating out for family at a Italian restaurant, and Deadshot targets the restaurant, and Superman saves the family from Deadshot. And yes, that is the scene where he licks spaghetti off the kid's fingers. So weird. So very weird. But what were we talking about? Oh yeah, we were talking about um, our Conan ripoffs, or like the Conan yeah. craze. Like, yeah, I mean, like DC. I I like some of DC's weird ones that didn't last very long. Beowulf was one. They had one called Stalker. Uh, they had another guy called Claw the Unconquered, who had like this like cursed claw hand. I know. Killmonger was kind of cool. Like, mm. uh, that was a Marvel one, and again, he's had a lot of crossovers with Marvel properties. I think probably because a he was an original character meant to capitalize off a War of the Worlds adaptation. Because they they okay. started the story by adapting War of the Worlds, right? Okay. And then they flash forward. I think. To a post-apocalyptic or post-invasion Earth, where you know the Martians don't get wiped out by the flu at the end. Okay. So Killmonger is this human, like born in the slave pits, who leads a revolution against the Martians, like the H.G. Well Martians. And mm. I've only ever read any Killmonger. Uh, and I, I might have the name wrong. Well, because Killmonger, I keep thinking of the Black Panther character. You're right. It's... Oh, crap. Um, hold up. Marvel... War of the Worlds... Kill Raven. Oh, yeah. Kill Raven. I, I know that name. Yes. Like, and he's shown up a lot since then, I think probably because he was created whole cloth by Marvel, and because the H.G. Wells novel is public domain. Right. But, it he, like, shows up in Avengers Forever as a member of a post-apocalyptic team of Avengers fighting against the Martians. And I think, possibly, in Avengers Forever, and wow, it's been forever since I read Avengers Forever, um... The Martians are actually scrolls, maybe? Okay. I can't remember. Which is sad, well, because I that's one of my favorite Avengers stories. Well, that's like the Beowulf I just mentioned that DC created for six issues in the 70s. He was still canon in the DC universe as of the mid-2000s. Because they brought him back for a Wonder Woman arc. Well, that's uh, one of the nice things about old stories like that is you can keep them canon because the characters are public domain. Like, Conan has disappeared from Marvel for, like, the longest time. Yeah, and is only now just coming back. Which, you know, once they lose that license again... Mm, some Conan stuff is public domain now, I think. Oh. I think some of the earliest stories are public domain now. Okay. That's interesting. But like Which may be why they're again, able to do it. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I've never been a fan of sword of sorcery stuff. It's why I don't like D D. Even mm. though I understand D D is the big kahuna of the hobby, and I support it for that reason. Like I will always encourage, hey, you want to get into a great community, start playing D D because D D players are for the most part some of the greatest people they ever meet in the earth. But for myself, I don't actually like D and D. I don't like the rules system. I'm really not a fan of the sword and sorcery, medieval sword and sorcery setting. Um, for my own part, I like stuff like Savage Worlds a lot more, where you can kind of have a modern setting. Mm-hmm. Like 
some of the most fun I've ever had in a game is playing in like a pulp adventure setting, 1930s, playing Savage Worlds. I just like the modern entanglements a little bit. The only exception I have to that is I don't mind Sword and Sorcery that kind of has a sci-fi tinge to it. Yeah, which uh, it makes sense then that Killraven with the post-apocalyptic thing, like that's a twist that makes it a little less sort of sword and sorcery. Right, and you know what it also reminds me of? What's that? Thundar the Barbarian. Oh yeah, yeah. The it was a Hanna Barbera. Hanna Barbera. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's it's sword and sorcery on a post-apocalyptic Earth, and of course well, you know even, who did the character. Well, that was Kirby, wasn't it? Yeah, that was Jack Kirby doing the character designs and all that fun stuff for Thunder the Barbarian. Well, and He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, same deal. Like, it's sci-fi, sword, and sorcery. In fact, I think, wasn't He-Man supposed to be a reboot of Thundar, and they decided just to do their own thing instead? My understanding was that initially they were wanting to do Conan, and when they realized just how R-rated the Conan property was, um, they decided to rip it off instead. Yeah, that the limitations of their women and, you know, all that fun stuff. I don't even know the whole speech properly. <laughs> um, but yeah, talking about uh, the post-apocalyptic thing, that's like I've always liked and thought was underrated uh, the 80s... Uh, post-apocalyptic Jonah Hex series. Okay. Have you ever read that? The It was when the crisis happened in, what, 86, 87? Yeah. They, they canceled Jonah Hex because the crisis had happened. And so what they decided to do with Jonah Hex was throw him into the distant future and make him the star of a Mad Max knockoff. That's so weird. Of course, my favorite part of that is the part in the JLU cartoon where he's looking at Batman and Wonder Woman, and he's like, and Green Lantern is like, you guys are time travelers, aren't you? What would make you think that? I've lived an interesting life. Well, yeah, because for all we know, by that point, he's already been to the future and back. Yep. I love Jonah Hex. He's one of the best things about DC didn't he Comics. Appear on, didn't he appear on Batman the Animated Series? Yes. Fighting Ra's al Ghul. Yeah, yeah. If there's a whole episode where Ra's al Ghul is telling <coughs> Batman the story of when he fought uh, Jonah Hex. And the bad guy in that story turns out to be Ra's al Ghul's son. Who is mm. now an old man. So yes. Yes. Jonah Hex was in Batman Amen series. It was a very slim review, but that's fine. Yeah, no, I mean, again, it's not our usual no. house. Although, we and... will end up having an episode that's pretty much entirely you lecturing me about film, but that's okay. Ha! Well. Because I've been collecting the clips, and I put them in the episode, and once the episode gets to a certain length, I'm releasing it. 
of just me like ranting about movies. Yeah, it's about thirty minutes right now. Oh, good, good. <laughs> just our our yeah. tangents of you ranting about movies, and I only started making ah. this around episode five. Okay. So it isn't, it isn't even all your rants from the beginning. It's just... And I, I, I say it's your rants. I, there's some tangents I take, too. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Until next time, Tomb members, Excelsior! Ha 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 